I started doing other activities. I started doing aerobics and I started enjoying it. And I started also to realize that if I spent an hour at the gym, then that gave me a little bit more freedom to eat what I wanted to. And, and I kind of turned all of my attentions and affections towards exercise. And I thought, I can tell you this now, I didn't think it at the time, but I thought that exercise would save me. Hey everyone, it's Mary DeMuth with The Restory Show, and I'm so excited to have my friend Heather Creekmore on today. And Heather, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Well, thanks. So the last uh, podcast I just recorded, my dog barked, so hopefully we won't have that uh, interruption this time. So Heather, uh, what what kind of story do you have to share with the um, the Restory audience? I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing what you have to say. You know, it's funny, Mary, because for so many years, I didn't think I had a story. Uh, I was raised in a Christian home, you know, didn't have any, any childhood trauma. Uh, we, you know, went to church, parents stayed married, you know, all those little tickers, none of them kind of resonated with me. And so I didn't think I had anything that amazing to share. There was only one thing through my childhood and into my adult years that seemed to bog me down, but it's not something I ever considered worthy of sharing. I thought it was just a little secret struggle that I had that probably no one else could ever relate to and therefore no one would ever want to hear about. And that was worrying about my body. And uh, it probably started when I was in third, fourth grade, sometime um, in elementary school. And I remember it was the 80s, Mary. So, you know, fashion changes, of course, but leather pants, well, pleather pants, fake leather pants, really, <laughs> uh, were really popular. And I had begged my mom to buy me this pair of pink pleather pants. I wanted them so bad, had to have them. And I got those things on and I looked at myself in the full-length mirror in my room and I had that first thought. And the thought was, wow, my legs kind of look big in pink pants. And so I went to school that day and did what most girls and, and women, I say, and maybe men too, do. And I looked around and I started to compare the size of my legs to the size of the other little girls' legs in my class. And I found out that, you know, mine did seem a little bit bigger, or at least in my mind, they seemed bigger. And what that started for me was a body image obsession. By junior high school, I was dieting. Uh, we had something called Slim Fast back then, and I was, you know, drinking the shakes twice a day and having a not balanced dinner. <laughs> um, and um, and then by high school, I was trying a form of dieting called See How Long You Can Go Without Eating, and I would be able to make it through school. And then I get home and after after school activities, get home 4, 30 or 5 in the afternoon and be ravenously hungry and eat everything inside and eat dinner with my family so they never really knew anything different was going on and go to bed feeling like I had failed, um, just feeling guilty and resolving that I would do better the next day. And this went on and on and on until I got to college, where it escalated even more. Um, I tried to throw up. Uh, I thought that might be the easy answer, but I couldn't. So uh, I, I was never bulimic, um, and I wasn't thin. I In college, I actually uh, I really enjoyed food at college. <laughs> My mom didn't <laughs> cook all that much. I hope she doesn't listen to this. <laughs> but, but 
she wasn't she wasn't a cook. She worked. And so, you know, we didn't have a lot of a lot of fancy meals. And so I got to that college cafeteria and I was exposed to a lot of foods I'd never tried before. And um, instead of gaining just the freshman 15, because I'm an overachiever, I went ahead and gained the freshman 30. And um, and so what would happen then was I gained this weight and I felt bad about it. And so I would go away to school and I would eat. Now I realize out of comfort, um, I, I was feeding a loneliness. And then I would go home and I would fast uh, for days at a time. And my body got so off kilter that by my sophomore year of college, I lost my period for 10 months. Wow. But this was the 90s. So there wasn't really an eating disorder category for people like me. I wasn't thin. I still had some weight that I needed to lose to be normal size. And I wasn't bulimic. I just thought I was normal. I thought every woman worried about their weight. Every woman's plot in life was to be as thin and as beautiful as she could be. Um, it seemed like culture was sending me that message. Every magazine I read sent me that message. And every woman I knew seemed to be living her life in a way that kind of testified to that being true. So I, I assumed that was my cross to bear as a woman. Um, I was just going to always have to worry about these things. Wow. That is, I mean, that's such a really, first of all, I think that you should write a book called Pink Pleather Pants. <laughs> It would be a hot seller, huh? <laughs> it would. It totally would. It reminds me of the, the this will date me too, but the Friends episode where Ross Geller tries to wear yes! put on the leather pants yes! and he starts sweating and can't get them yes! off. <laughs> pleather doesn't breathe. <laughs> it does not breathe. It does, leather doesn't breathe either, but pleather's worse. Yes, so. So if you're listening to the Restory show today, there's our cautionary tale for you. Do not wear pleather. So you, you were like, hidden inside your mind with this problem. Yes. You were thinking, in fact, I bet, and you kind of mentioned this, you weren't even able to articulate it even to yourself. Am I right? Yes, absolutely not. I just thought I was normal. <laughs> I thought everyone's brain was working the same way mine was. And I think a lot of us, whether we have um, body image issues or not, I think a lot of us can relate to that statement because we the things we don't share about, we catastrophize in our minds and we think we're the worst person ever and we're the one that has to bear this cross. So there must have been a time where you figured this out. So how did that happen? Well, it wasn't quick. I, I wish it had. <laughs> I wish it had. Yes, sooner. that would have been great. Stop <laughs> your fingers. <laughs> I wish. Flip the switch. That would have been nice. But God doesn't teach us that way very often, does he? So I decided, uh, I think, as a lot of women believe, that changing my body would fix these issues. If I could just get that perfect body, then I wouldn't have to worry about it anymore. And um, so I, I went to work in Washington, D.C. out of college and continued dieting. Um, and then I went to graduate school. And, and somewhere in that time frame, I discovered exercise. Now, I, had, I, I am a horrible runner. I know you run, Mary. I, I am awful. I mean, I've tried and I've tried to make it work with <laughs> running. But, but I, it just, my body was not made for that. <laughs> so so I, I'm an awful runner. But I... I started doing other activities. I started doing aerobics and I started enjoying it. And I started also to realize that if I spent an hour at the gym, then that gave me a little bit more freedom to eat what I wanted to. And, and 
I kind of turned all of my attentions and affections towards exercise. And I thought, I can tell you this now, I didn't think it at the time, but I thought that exercise would save me because exercise was going to transform my body. It was going to give me that body that I wanted. And then in my mind, I would be free. I wouldn't have to worry about my body image anymore. And, and the pinnacle, like the top of the exercise food chain, if you will, in my head at least, was being an aerobics instructor. Now, <laughs> I, I have a master's degree. I worked on Capitol Hill. Like I, I've done public policy things. That's what my master's is in. So so for me to be like, you know, forget it all. I just want to be an aerobics instructor was a little ironic <laughs> in a way. But I felt like that, that is what, you know, that's what would make me feel free. And so I made it my goal that I would become an aerobics instructor just to, you know, fix this body image thing I was dealing with. And um, so I did. And honestly, I failed the test the first time I took it. It was really hard. You need to give aerobics instructors major props (laughs) because it's hard to get in. Um, But I became an aerobics instructor and I stood in front of that very first class that I taught. It was a kickboxing class. And I remember it well, standing up there and just feeling defeated because this is this was supposed to be it. I was supposed to stand up there and feel like I'm the instructor. I've got the body. Now I don't have to worry anymore. And instead, what happened was I stood up there and I thought, wow, there are three women in the front row who look better than I do and are better at kickboxing than I am. I, I, I haven't done it. I'm still struggling. And and so so that happened. And then I realized I was still single. Um, and this was my late 20s at this point. And I thought, you know what? I know what my problem is. I'm not married. You know, if I was married, I wouldn't struggle with body image anymore. And I made this really like hilarious assumption now that I'm married um, that that married women didn't have as big of a struggle in this area as single women did. Um, and Finally, I was I was 30 years old uh, when I met my husband. We met on eHarmony, actually. So um, it was kind of an amusing story. But um, we got married at 31. And I remember vividly waking up the morning um, after our wedding night and thinking, wow, this didn't do it either. Hmm. I still wondered if I was good enough for him. In fact, I was like a maniac on our honeymoon. It's amazing. We're we're celebrating like 13 years coming up here. (laughs) It's amazing that he stayed married to me because I was so crazy about this stuff. You know, always like expecting him to affirm me and telling him that he just must not have been doing it well enough (laughs) because it wasn't working. Um, Assuming the problem was him and that no other married woman struggled in this arena. It was just he was and doing a good enough job of making me feel like I was beautiful enough, and it was all on him. Um, and then we we did, you know, what I some somehow thought would be good for my body image. Um, <laughs> we went ahead and got pregnant three months into marriage. And, um, and there you go. That'll yeah, work. yeah. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> Although I, I will say, I think the fact that I wasn't going to have to be on a diet for nine months. I mean, at this point, I'm 32 years old, and I. Still started dieting maybe age 11. So I got a couple decades of dieting in and and to finally know that I'm free not to diet, it was like, hooray, this is going to be wonderful. But uh, gaining the weight and stepping on that scale felt like a Weight Watchers weigh in every time I went for my OB appointments. Um, and it just, it, it just spiraled me right back to a place where instead of being 
excited and joyful and and happy um, to be welcoming a baby into our lives, I was stressing about what I look like and stressing about my weight and my size and whether or not my husband would find me attractive and and all of those things, all the value that I had um, associated with a certain look um, was all coming into question at that point. So it nothing worked. <laughs> <laughs> nothing worked. Exactly. The bottom line is <laughs> nothing worked. Um, but Jesus, right? Right. He's always the answer. <laughs> exactly. And, and I'm not. I'm not going to oversimplify this um, because I don't think that's helpful. But. God started to show me. Um, we had four kids in five years, so so I guess to finish out the story, um, I was either pregnant or breastfeeding <laughs> for about five years of our lives during the first um, six years of our marriage. But during that time, um, I would say probably between my third and my fourth child, I um, I started to hear the gospel in a way I'd never heard before. And, and like I said, I was raised in a Christian home. Um, I went to Christian school starting in seventh grade. I went to Christian college. I went to Christian graduate school. So I knew the <laughs> Bible. I thought I had, you know, the God and Jesus answered down, <laughs> you know, like that for, to me, it was, you know, okay, that part of my life is set, but I've got this other issue over here. And I knew the answer's that I had heard at church. You know, it's what's on the inside that counts. I knew that. I, I believed it somewhat, but it didn't seem to help me. Um, I knew that I was fearfully and wonderfully made. I knew that, that you know, God designed me the way that I was designed, um, but I couldn't find anything in scripture that satisfied this frustration of mine. And it wasn't until I was in my um, my mid to late 30s that God started to reveal to me something about my body image issue, that it wasn't really about my body at all, that it was about my heart and what I was worshiping. And he showed me how I had made my body image an idol, how I had believed that having a certain look, wearing a certain size, appearing a certain way would save me. And, and you know, that it's a funny word to use, I think, in that context. I don't know if at the time I could have said, yes, I'm looking for my body image to save me. I wouldn't have been able to articulate that to you, of course. But now looking back, I see how, well, I thought I had to have a perfect body in order to ever find a husband. I thought, you know, looking better would, would get me more friends, get me a better job, um, give me everything I thought I needed and wanted in this life. And I was looking to to that false god of of beauty um, to to save me and to deliver me and and God the whole time Jesus was like nope I'm over here <laughs> you know that's not going to work out for you you can keep chasing that but there's going to be a dead in there I'm, I'm right over here and um, it was so gracious of him to show that to me and that that's really what's made the change uh, for me in the last. Uh, let's see, six or seven years now, it's been on this journey of just identifying that idol and, and really daily, <laughs> daily rebuking it, <laughs> daily saying, no, I'm laying that down um, and, and I'm looking to Jesus alone to save me. That's the word that kept coming to mind when I was talking, when you were talking, was just this idol of finding something other than Jesus to fill you. And I think so many of us do it. Maybe it's not this way. I know I, but I know I have. Um, and I know a lot of people can relate to that particular struggle, but 
it's other things. It could be position. It could be money. It could be, you know, uh, having the right relationships all lined up in a row. And so it, it's a hard thing to come to. What, what caused you to surrender? I think God finally brought me to the point where I recognize that, that it sounds, it's so, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm stumbling over my words here a bit because I don't want to say that I had no other options, but I think that's really it. Um, I realized it wasn't working. Uh, we had gone into counseling. My husband's uh, pastor, uh, he planted a church. So you and I have that in common. You know that? Yes. So easy to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Super simple. You know, easiest <laughs> time of our lives. Not at all. Um, but but as we entered church planting, um, my husband was a student at uh, Dallas Seminary. And we went through a process there where we had to go to counseling. And I was excited to go to counseling because I knew my husband needed help. <laughs> Not me, of course, right? But my husband needed help. And boy, was I shocked when that counselor spent a whole lot more time talking to me than he did to my husband. Um, and um, we had we had six hours of counseling in one weekend. And I remember we got home and we were both just kind of laying on the bed, staring at the ceiling. We're like, wow, we're a whole lot more messed up than we knew we were. Um, <laughs> But, but God was so gracious in that, especially planning that at the beginning of our church planning journey um, so we could you know really dig deeper than we ever had before into our stuff um, and, and find some of the stuff. I mean, obviously, we all have stuff that, <laughs> that stays hidden, so we're all still digging, right? But, but starting to find and uncover, unearth some of some of the things that needed to be unearthed um, before before we started uh, really getting into the trenches of church planting, and um, you know, and and in that, I would say also, I I was becoming a pastor's wife, and so it's kind of ironic how my body image, you know, just image issues in general, kind of related to that because in my mind, I thought the job of the pastor's wife, to some extent, is to look good. <laughs> Smile, be the nicest person at church, um, make sure her children look good <laughs> and are obedient. And, you know, it was more image based. And once we got into the heart of ministry, I realized that that, that wasn't going to serve me very well. Um, and that was actually going to drive me crazy. Uh, so the image thing wasn't working out. It, it wasn't going to save me. And God graciously showed me, um, you know, hey, <laughs> Don't go down that path. There's another one over here. And so was there a moment where you just kind of said, okay, I give up and I now recognize the gospel? Or was it more gradual? You know, both and. Because I remember listening to a sermon about idolatry. Uh, it was a Tim Keller sermon. And I had never really listened to Tim Keller before, but my husband was a fan. And I listened to him talk about some different things that he classified as idolatry, and I'd never even thought about modern day idolatry before. I mean, to me, and this is in my book, but you know, growing up, like that was the one commandment that we didn't have to worry about anymore. And you know, <laughs> my parents did not have any statues. We didn't have a garden gnome. Um, in fact, like watching The Amazing Race is a little uncomfortable for me because I'm not sure if I'm actually supposed to look at the Travelocity gnome or not. You know, like like it was that kind of indoctrination. Like we go to the um, Chinese restaurant, and my mom would have us look away, not look at Buddha. You know, so so I didn't have any statues. Like I didn't have an idolatry problem. 
But listening to Keller talk about idolatry and the ways that our hearts are idolatrous like today um, just woke me up. And I don't think he actually spoke of body image or beauty idolatry in the sermon that I heard, but I was able to make that connection myself, that that, that was a God, a little G God that I was serving. And, um, and his solution was repentance. And I think that that was a critical step necessary after acknowledging the idol was to actually go the next step and say, you know what, God, I have sinned. Forgive me. Um, I repent of this sin. Um, and, um, and then that's where the change started to happen. But did I flip a switch, say the prayer and the next day wake up and not care about my weight or my size (laughs) or wearing makeup? No, (laughs) I wish, but no, it's, it's been gradual and, and still, I mean, there's, there's a fight. I mean, when you, when you've dieted for more of your life (laughs) than you've not dieted, um, it's a challenge every day to say no okay i'm i'm not going to choose i'm not going to choose to believe that i'm going to choose to believe that god has a purpose for my life and yes i want to stay healthy but i can't i can't serve i can't serve this god of body image anymore like this can't be the most important thing i've got to lay that down and if that means um you know for me dieting's kind of a dangerous area you know, a lot of eating disorder, um, folks that have come through recovery of eating disorder, dieting's dieting's a dangerous area. Um, and, and so for me, there's got to be parameters around it. You know, even fasting, like, you know, I want to fast for spiritual reasons, but I have a difficult time, Mary, because I start to fast and immediately I start to think, oh, I wonder how much weight I'll lose. So, so there's, so there's some different things that, you know, God's still working on me on this front, um, in, but um, but it's 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 a change, and I feel free. Uh, I feel freedom that I had just longed for. I mean, I look back to my college days, and I'm sad for that version of me. I'm sad that I spent so much mental time and space um, consumed with worry over my appearance. And I, I'm and so now that's what I want for people, and that's that's really what what I'm what I'm doing is. Is, is trying to help other women just discover that that freedom is available. You don't have to live like that. Yeah. And I would imagine that, you know, those verses about taking every thought captive um, and our body being the temple of God and all of those things are super important. Tell us a little bit about your journey to write your book and the title of the book and, and just, you know, your heart in writing it. Sure. Well, so I was turning 40 and I I felt like God said, write a book. And it, you know, I, I don't know if it's the typical story or not, Mary. I know you hear more of these than I do. Um, but, but I just, I didn't know anything about writing a book. My marketing's in, or my background is in marketing um, and politics and campaign stuff. Um, but I thought, you know, I've done some writing. I'll just, I'll sit down and start writing and see what happens. And so I sat down and I wrote my book in about three months. It just came. Um, but there was a little hurdle in there. I started writing a book on marriage because I thought that that would be an interesting book. <laughs> and and I'd learned a lot in my marriage and counseling had helped us a lot and taught me a lot, but I just couldn't get it to go anywhere. And about two weeks into my writing process, uh, my husband and, and the Lord were both saying to me, no, you really need to write about body image. And my husband's saying, come on, your book's about body image. And I was like, no, I don't want to write that stuff. Like, I don't want to share 
those crazy thoughts <laughs> that were in my head with anyone. Like, I don't know if I want to commit that story to paper. Um, that's kind of personal. But what happened was I, um, so I was a public relations director for a blog in Dallas, Dallas Moms blog at the time. And I got a press call. I took all the calls on, you know, what do moms think of this? What do moms think of that? And so I got a call about Barbies from a reporter at the Huffington Post. And she called and she said, you know, I just, I wanted to talk to you a little bit and find out whether or not you think Barbie causes body image issues. And at the time my daughter was, I think she was six years old and had just started, um, started with the whole Barbie thing. And, and I was cautious about it, but probably not as cautious as I needed to be. And, you know, sometimes the grandparent gifts get out of control and there's not a whole lot you can do. Um, so, um, so I, I was on the phone with this reporter. I look over my daughter and I was like, wow, what do what do I believe? Do I believe that Barbie's called body image issues? I, I don't know. And and so I, I you know, I, I, I gave her some answer. And I got off the phone and I started praying about it. And I really felt like that's what my book was gonna be about. That my because the original title was Stop Blaming Barbie and kind of moved away from that. Um, I really thought that I needed to write a book that would expose where this issue really was in our hearts. Because I felt like there were a lot of other, there was a lot of other talk out there about this issue being a physical issue or, you know, this issue being a mental issue. And and yes, okay, maybe there's there's a little bit of that involved. I don't want to completely disregard that. But but the core, I believe, of of where this issue lies is in our hearts. And so that was that was my driver. And then that kind of kind of motivated the um, the writing over those next couple months. And I finished the book about three years ago and had quite a up and down roller coaster ride um, into finally getting it published. And the book now, the book that's available, came out last June, is called Compared to Who, which I know is grammatically incorrect. <laughs> and I have people write me emails all the time to let me know that. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I, I was an intentional decision because compared to whom, which would be grammatically correct, sounded a little stuffy and, and maybe a little British. Um, so we, I just didn't want to come off um, pretentious. I wanted the book to be very relatable and kind of street level. We're going to just real talk about this stuff. And uh, I share a lot of my messy ridiculous things I've done for beauty <laughs> stories in there. Some of them are a little embarrassing, um, but it's all in there. And, and and I share it not for entertainment purposes necessarily, but to try to help encourage women who have followed the same path that I followed, where you've tried it all and you're still frustrated and, and you've been dieting for decades and you're still frustrated and you've been trying to, you know, I, I'm the girl who owned a Thighmaster, the Billy Blanks Tybo tapes. <laughs> um, I mean, every single new fitness gimmick that came out. I mean, I had a, a, what, Total Gym, Christy Brinkley and Chuck <laughs> Norris, right? Um, I mean, you name it, we owned it. In fact, our Bowflex is sitting behind me right now. <laughs> so we kept that one. My husband thinks he uses it. Um, but, um, you know, so I was I was the, the one that if there was a new diet, if there was a new exercise program out there, like I was going to try it because this would be the one, right? And I think that that those those of us who struggle with this issue, we have this this idolatry issue looks like um, well, I, I like to relate it to the Willy Wonka and the or Willy Wonka's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, where it's like the golden ticket. Charlie's looking for the golden ticket. 
And I think for those of us that struggle with this, you were always looking for that golden ticket. Like what's the miracle diet going to be? Okay. That last diet, that one didn't really work out so well, but this next diet, that's going to be the one to save me forever and ever. Or this next exercise thing, you know, I didn't really use my thigh master very much, but you know, this CD set or <laughs> Pilates, whatever, <laughs> this one I'm going to stick with. I know because five minutes a day, I mean, you can do five minutes a day, right? But it's just, it's the definition of insanity, right? Just keep doing the same thing over and again, expecting different results. And finally, you know, God brought me to the place where I had to stop. <laughs> Just stop already. It's not, it, this is not, this is not how you're going to be saved. Um, yeah, so it, it's been a journey. That was, that was a long answer to your question, huh? <laughs> I just so appreciate, Heather, what you have to say there, because I think a lot of people can relate to that. It is a funny, interesting thing because for whatever reason, like you said, we don't use what we have. And then we think that the next new program will do it. And that is chasing after the wind. Um, it's a treadmill that goes nowhere. And so I just so appreciate the way that you've put that. Now, what kind of advice would you give to someone who is listening to this podcast today and they are like, oh my gosh, that is me. What, what would you say first? I would say first, identify the idol. And in that, just, just stop. I mean, when I speak to women, I just encourage them, just stop and pray. I mean, ask God, hey, is, is this me? Is this something I do? Have I been looking for beauty or body image to do something for me that only God can? I mean, I think the perfect example of the way we do this, and, and some of your listeners will probably be able to relate to this, is, is thinking about the show, The Biggest Loser. Okay. The, our culture teaches us a message that salvation comes from beauty. And The Biggest Loser is the perfect example of this. Okay. What do you see at the beginning of The Biggest Loser? You see folks that are trapped in overweight bodies and, and in a sort of hell. And then what happens is, or at least they're edited to show us that they're in a sort of, sort of hell. And then what happens is they, they come to the ranch and they meet, it used to be Bob and Jillian, I don't, the show's not even on anymore, but I don't know who the trainers are now. But, but you, you know, it used to be they would come and they would meet the Bob or the Jillian and those people would transform them, right? They would, they would take them out of the hell that they were in and transform them. And then at the end of the show, their the people are able to run marathons and wear cute clothes, which is the American dream for some women. Um, and it's a salvation story. It's a story of going from hell to meeting a savior and, and then finding heaven. And it's a salvation story that personally, I mean, I'm like I said, I was raised in a Christian home. I knew the real salvation story. <laughs> But it was one that I bought. I mean, I loved the magazine before and after, the success stories. I used to subscribe to Fitness and Shape Magazine, and I would get my magazines, and I didn't care about this other stuff. I would just go straight to the success story. I want to know how she did it, what she ate, what she, how she exercised, and I wanted to see her before and after pictures. And so much of my life, I spent just believing that I was in a before state and if I could just get to an after and by an after I thought <laughs> I thought that meant physically if I could just get to an after then I'd be free and so I would encourage any woman that, that this sounds like you to just stop and recognize that 
that that your before is before Christ and your after is with him. And if you already have Christ in your life, if you've already, you know, decided, made that decision to follow him and to allow him to lead your life as your Lord, then then the, the first step is just recognizing the idol, saying, Oh God, wow, I am so sorry that I have started chasing this other thing. Help me. I repent. I believe that's important, like I said before. And then help help me to turn from that idol um, and, and follow you again as the source of my salvation. And I think too, it, it I love that. I think too, it's important that we see Jesus in the middle of it too. Yeah. yeah. I recently talked to a man who went through a, a dietary thing, but it was for epilepsy, not um, not for looking good or anything, but it didn't work. It, and he said the thing that kept him going was thinking about the end and standing on a stage and saying, I did this terrible diet and it was so hard, but look, I'm not, I don't have epilepsy anymore. And and we both just kind of stood there as he shared that story because it's just so true. We want to have an ending to that story. We want to say, and then here's my after picture. Then I was perfect. But the truth is we could have all of our ducks in a row. We could do all the right things and things are messy in this world and we cannot necessarily control everything. And that's where we have to lay our lives down for Jesus and just say, I don't know if this is going to be successful or not. I'm going to trust you no matter what the outcome. Absolutely. And you know, the other thing I was thinking of is, is how, what a lie it is in our heads. It's a lie of the enemy that looking a certain way is going to better help us accomplish God's purpose for our lives. Because I think about, um, and I always butcher his last name, Nick Vojevic. Are you familiar Mm -hmm. with him? Yes. Yes. So the man has no arms and legs and he was born that way. And he ministers to literal millions, (laughs) like crowds of millions of people around the globe. And I heard him speak once and he said the statement, how can a man without any arms or legs be the hands and feet of Jesus? And at that point, I was just kind of getting started in my ministry. And I thought, wow, you know, every woman who's ever struggled with her body image, like we need to remember, like, wow, God made us for a purpose. And he's given us everything we need physically to accomplish that purpose in our lives. If he, if his purpose for my life was for me to be a model, he would have made me about a foot taller and given me better metabolism, right? But, but that's not what God's called me to. And, and maybe my, my, legs that are horrible at running, um, but my fingers that are fast at typing, maybe there's a purpose for the way that he designed all of that. And, and I don't need to feel like I need to look different or be different physically in order to accomplish that purpose. He's already created me to do that. And he's given me what I need to, to make it happen. That is so good. And, and, important and I think we all need to we all need to hear that message. So in as you look over the past year of your life, how has God restoried you or given you a new story? Well, so so it's ironic that I wrote a book mostly about idolatry. And then through the publishing of that book, God revealed to me more of my idolatry. <laughs> awesome. So yeah, it was really great. <laughs> so my book just came out. I guess it's been out about six months now. And um, I thought I had solved this idolatry thing. Um, but 
somewhere deep within me still remained the belief that once I had a book out, I would feel different. <laughs> um, you can probably relate to this, right, Mary? Just a little bit, yep. <laughs> <laughs> so I believed that having a book out might might make me feel different. And, and to take that one step further, right before my book came out, I got the great news that I was going to be in Lifeway Christian stores and I was going to be on an end cap. And I published with a small publisher and um, and I'm a first time author. And so as you know, Mary, that's like not, that's not a normal thing. Like, right. That is a blessing. Yep. Small publisher, new author, you don't make it on an end cap at Lifeway stores. So I am over the moon excited about about this this blessing and I go to our Lifeway store and I can't find my book anywhere and it was the day it was supposed to go on the end cap and I'm looking for it in the women's section I'm looking for it everywhere it's not on any end cap in the store I've got my four children with me uh, ages 11 and under and so they're you know touching everything in the store <laughs> while I am trying just to find my book and so I go over to the clerk and I excuse me do you you know do you have compared to who and they're like who's that by and I'm like oh uh, you know I think it's Heather Creekmore. <laughs> how do you spell that? Oh, it just so happens I know how to spell that. <laughs> um, so they look around and they find my book hidden on the bottom shelf in the addictions section. Wow. And so, you know, my heart's a little like, you know, frustrated over this. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, you know, is, is it supposed to be there? And, and so they, you know, they tell me, oh, no, no, it was put in the wrong place. And so they're, we'll, we'll move it to the right place. I'm like, okay, you know, just just curious. And I said, um, you know, I, I thought it was supposed to be on an end cap. Oh no, it's not supposed to be on an end cap. Oh, okay. Well, thank you. And my kids wanted to look at CDs or something, and I was having a hard time not busting into tears in the middle of a Lifeway Christian mm -hmm. store because of disappointment, feeling like, oh wow, this stinks. This is the worst thing ever. And um, you know, eventually the clerk came over and she said to me, you know, oh, you know what? I looked it up. It was supposed to be on the end cap. We just, we couldn't find it. So we didn't put it there. And I'm like, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Thank you. Get in my van. And I still, I still cried. And, and I cried in part because I was like, you know what, God, I know what I'm doing here. This is ridiculous. You know, it's lifelong dream to be in a bookstore. I'm in a bookstore and it's still not enough. Like, okay, Heather, when are you going to learn? <laughs> when are you going to learn to stop chasing idols? It's never going to be enough. Um, and, then, and then to make the plot a little thicker. So I think I've learned this lesson, right? You know, like God's shown me through this struggle, if you will, at the Lifeway store um, that I'm still chasing this idol. So two weeks later, I'm going to go back. And, and what do we have to do in this era of social media? We have to go to the store and take a selfie with our book, right, Mary? That's that's what you do. Yes, um, yeah. So I put on makeup and I go to the store. Don't take all the kids with me this time. Just one daughter to be the photographer. And um, go to, to see my book on the end cap. And wouldn't you know, I mean, I didn't even know they made shelves this low, but the, the shelf my book was on on the end was two inches off of the ground. I mean, in order to get a selfie with that book, I needed to put my chin on the floor of that dirty bookstore floor. I was not going to do that. But but it was like, once again, God, you know, you're not happy, are you? <laughs> you're still not happy. When are you going to learn? And um, and so, you know, that's been the struggle of, of well, I've had a lot of other struggles this year as well. We were church planters. <laughs> but, exactly. But, but in, in, in this arena, what God has shown me is you had mentioned it earlier in, 
in this um, in this show, but there's so many things we can make idols, and it it's not enough to give up your body image idol and then <laughs> go to your go to your book publishing idol. Yes. Um, God, 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 still got to be. He's still got to be number one. So I would say that that's the biggest lesson he's been teaching me this year is, is publishing's not going to solve it. Nothing's going to solve it. Um, my identity, my purpose, my my value has to be found in him alone, or I'm going to always be dissatisfied. I had a literary agent tell me once, publishing will not validate will not validate your life, and I was like, oh, but I really want it to. <laughs> Are you sure it won't work just but, for me? <laughs> yeah. I know everybody else that doesn't work for, but I, I would really like that to validate my life. But it, it never did and it never can. And it's true. No matter what it is that we're chasing, it can never satisfy like Jesus. He is that long, cool drink of water that never we never thirst again once we drink of that water. So I just so appreciate your story, Heather, and her, your honesty and um, your willingness to go there. Thank you so much for being on the Restory Show today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to The Restory Show. Do you mind if I pray for you? Lord, I pray that today you would help us to shake hands with what we see in the mirror. And um, whether we're a man or a woman or we're young or we're old, I think all of us struggle with the body that we live in. And we are all, um, as believers, longing to be clothed with that body from heaven, that eternal body that is going to just be awesome um, and just be exactly everything that we've wanted that to be. So help us to live in light of that and to be content with today and to realize that some of the things that we've been hearing in this world have been lies, that they are not the truth about our worth. Our worth is not tied to the way we look. Our worth is tied to who we're related to, and that is you. That our worth is because you have endowed us with who you are, that we are image bearers of you, that we are um, rescued, that we are redeemed, that we are set free. So thank you and help us to live in light of that today. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you've liked the prayers at the end of the Restory Show, you're really going to like my new podcast, PrayEveryDay.show, where I pray for you every day of this year, 365 days of prayer. This can be part of your everyday quiet time. It can be part of your commute. It can be part of your morning routine. Um, And I would just love for you to take a listen. Right now we're going through the book of Philippians and we're going verse by verse. So I'll read one verse and then I will pray that verse and I will pray it for you. So if you want to listen, I would really appreciate it. You can go to prayeveryday.show and download it on any device that you have. Also, if you want to record a little bit of a story for the Restory Show, you can go to marydemuth.com and on the right-hand side, you'll see a little icon that looks like a microphone and you can record your story up to four minutes. We would love to have you featured at the end of one of these Restory episodes. So if you'd like to know more about today's show in particular and what Heather talked about today, go to restoryshow.com for the latest episode information. And of course, may you live a brand new story this week.